says in the book of Acts, repent, be converted, times of refreshing come the presence of the Lord. One of the psalmists said in his presence, fullness of joy. I've enjoyed this worship time. <laughs> I hate dead church. Man, I just despise it. <laughs> Everything about the God that we serve, he is a living God. Amen. Amen. I'm reading to you from Matthew chapter 14. At the end of the service today, we'll do communion together. It's always a special time. And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. Straightway. Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. So my subject today is a question to you. Do you want the strength or the storm? The strength or the storm. God bless you. You may be seated. There is one thing about getting older that I don't enjoy. I want to be, the Bible said godliness with contentment is great gain. So um, when I was young, I didn't want to be old. And now that I'm getting older, I don't want to pine to be young again. I want to be content whatever season of life I'm in. But the one thing I don't like about getting older is I'm bearing more and more of my friends, men and women who have been with me from the beginning, some of them the beginning of my life, others the beginning of my ministry, folks who knew more about me than all the others. I want to give honor to Bill Carson, who passed this week. Bill Carson played a major role and seeing that my mother and father were able to go to pastor the church in Clinton, Illinois. And uh, I will always be grateful for the role that he played in, in giving my mom and dad the, the opportunity and the privilege to pastor that group of people. It's been a hard week for the Lord. His cousin John was dead. Their ministries started in the womb. John, the Bible said, leaped in his mother's womb when Mary told him that she was carrying the Messiah. An unborn baby was the very first one to ever praise Jesus. And we often forget the unique anointing that bound these two men together. So it doesn't surprise me that 30 years later, it was John who told the crowd, not once but twice, this is the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sin of the world. Their lives and their ministries were so intertwined that literally the ministry of Jesus could not begin without John the Baptist. John was a fearless prophet. 
we are technically called, this church is called a non-profit organization. The IRS recognizes us as a 5013C non-profit organization. I think a lot of Pentecost is non-profit. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about ministry. I'm not really sure Pentecostals could handle a real prophet. I've been around a couple of those fellows in my lifetime, and it is not an enjoyable experience. They're never happy. And uh, um, they don't take any prisoners. And uh, John was fearless. And his crowd apparently contained the crown. It says in the book of Mark, chapter 6 and verse 20, For Herod, who was the king, feared John, knowing that he was a just man and unholy, and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Herod, I think, probably got a lot of laughs when John rebuked those pious priests, called them a bunch of snakes. Those priests gave Herod a lot of problems. I'm sure he really enjoyed it when John just let him have it. He recognized the touch of God that was on John and apparently obeyed his teachings, or I guess I could say teaching Because John only had one message, repent. I really try every time I get in front of you to have something fresh. John never had to study. John had one message, repent. The Messiah is coming. But Herod's repentance had limits. And John was now in jail because of his rebuke of the king's choice of girlfriends, which included his brother's wife. Herodias was determined. Salome danced. And the next thing you knew, John's head was in a basket. It says in Matthew 14, And the disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. That scripture is more accurate than we really give it credit for because they just buried the body. They didn't have the head. Jesus called John the Baptist the voice in the wilderness. So it doesn't surprise me that they cut off his head trying to silence the voice of that preacher. It's a fascinating study in the book of Mark. When Herod heard about the ministry of Jesus, he said, it's John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. (laughs) That preacher was still preaching to him, even though that head was gone. They took up the headless body of John and buried him and had to tell Jesus the sad news. He took it hard. Because Jesus knew better than anybody else that not only were their births intertwined, but their deaths were also. And he, knowing his own fate, now understands even more clear 
He doesn't have a lot of time left. It says in Matthew 14 and verse 13, when Jesus heard that they had buried John, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. He's heartbroken. He just wants to get away. So he gets in a boat and makes a trip to a place where he was convinced he would be left alone. But he can't get away. The crowd won't let him. And even though he takes a ship, they walk. And when he gets to where he was convinced he would be alone, there's already a crowd there. He refers to them as sheep without a shepherd. He can't help himself. He said one place, I didn't come to be ministered to. I came to minister. So he did what he always did. He started teaching them. Then the Bible said he healed them. David one time said he sent his word and healed them. (laughs) I have a cousin, Russell Osman, had a heart attack several months ago. He's been in a wheelchair for three months. And I spoke to him over this live stream recently. My mom said, Russell, did you hear Harold talking to you? And he said, I missed it on Esther. I'll go find it. So he found the backlog of our services and listened to that. And when he heard us praying for him, the presence of the Lord came on him and he stood out of his chair. (laughs) That he'd been in a wheelchair for months. And to the amazement of his wife and daughter, walked around the house and said, the Lord healed me. He sent his word and healed him. Praise God. That just happened last week. Jesus' name. If you're familiar with hockey, hockey has a unique term called a hat trick. It's when a player can do three specific things in one hockey competition. Jesus is about to do a hat trick because he taught them. And then it says he healed them. And then he feeds them. Or I should say, he gave the bread to his disciples and they fed the crowd. The lesson is powerful. He taught them, he healed them, he fed them, and then he sent them into a storm. He said, get in that ship and go on to the other side. And when he had sent all of them away, the crowd and his disciples... Matthew 14 and 23 said, he went up into a mountain to pray, and he was there alone. This is one of two storms that are mentioned in the Gospels. One we talked about recently was when he was in the boat with them, and they were terrified and woke him up. In this one, he's not in the boat. He's praying while they're in the storm. And it's during this storm that he comes walking on the water and that famous event of inviting Peter to come out of the boat and walk on the water with him. 
So he fed them before the storm. And he appeared to them right in the middle of it. Honestly, I don't remember anything about 2002 or 3 or 4 or 5, 6, 7 or 8. I do remember 2001 because of 9-11. And I will always remember 2020 because of this virus. But more than the virus, I will remember his provisions that he provided for us while the storm has been going on. I guess you could say we've been in a storm for most of this year. But if you would remember last year when we started with fasting and prayer, he, he fed us. And we had no idea the storm he was fixing to send us into. But he prepared us before the storm ever started. And it's so obvious that he has appeared again and again and again through this storm. Please don't ever doubt that this God that you serve will equip you before the storm begins. And while it's raging, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Though a mother forget her own, I will never forget those that are mine. My ear is not heavy that I cannot hear. My arm is not short that I cannot reach. First Kings 19 tells the story of another tired prophet. His name is Elijah. He is just now on the other end of confronting the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove. It's 850 to 1. He prayed a prayer. I think it's 53 words. 53 words. God answered by fire. But the ordeal so depleted him that a threat from an old bag by the name of Jezebel, who he would have never given a second thought to just a couple weeks before, scares him. And he retreats in fear. And then this happens. As he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, an angel touched him and said, Rise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid down again. And the angel came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights. He literally ate angel food cake twice. (laughs) And then it says, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire a still small voice. What a storm 
or I guess you could say storms, because with the exception of the flood of Noah, this is the worst storm in the Bible. First, hurricane-force winds broke rocks, caused massive landslides. That was followed by an earthquake, which triggered a forest fire, but it doesn't stop there. That not only did the Lord feed this man before the storm, but right in the middle of this horrible trifecta of storms, it said, there was a still small voice. How in the world can you hear a still small voice if the Lord isn't very close to you in the storm? So he fed him before the storm and he talked to him right while the thing's going on. Deuteronomy said, and the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee, he will be with you. He will not fail you. He will not forsake you. Fear not, neither be dismayed. We sing a song from this one. When you pass through the water, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you won't be burned, and neither shall the flame kindle upon you. Among the minor prophets, there is a small book towards the end called Amos. Amos chapter 1 and verse 1 says this, The words of Amos, who was among the herdmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and the days of Jeroboam, not the son of Solomon, but the son of Joash, or jo- Joash king of Israel. Watch this. Two years before the earthquake. I read that verse and thought, I I don't remember that. But Amos started prophesying two years before the earthquake. And then I found in Zechariah, And you shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azale. Yea, you shall flee like as you fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Ezekiel mentions it as well in chapter 38. Josephus, who is a very famous historian. I found this in the 10th chapter of his ninth book yesterday. In the meantime, a great earthquake shook the ground and a rent was made in the temple and the bright rays of the sun shone through it and fell upon the king's face, Uzziah, insomuch that the leprosy seized upon him immediately. A physicist from Ohio, his name was Richter, developed something in 1935 called the Richter scale. It's a logarithmic scale that that measures the magnitude, the seriousness of seismic energy transferred through rocks and plates when you have an earthquake. It goes from 1 to 10, but it's exponential, which means that the difference between 6 and 7 is it's a 7 10 times greater than a 6. 7s are pretty common. 8s 
are considered major earthquakes. There have only been nine quakes since they've been measuring that have ever been recorded in the world. And though this fact that Amos talks about has been disputed for many, many, many years, in the last 10 years, archaeological evidence has proved without a doubt that somewhere around the year 750 B.C., when Amos was prophesying, there was an eight-plus earthquake, a major earthquake. For years, I have taught you about something called the Tabernacle of David. It just came upon me years ago in Arkansas, and I had studied and heard about the Tabernacle of Moses and the Temple of Solomon and the Temple of Herod. But when I read Acts 15, which was the first fight when the New Testament church started growing, James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, the reason the church is growing is because we have rebuilt David's tabernacle. And when I read that, I thought, what in the world is that? I never heard anybody talk about David's tabernacle. But I found it in 2 Samuel 6. I found it in 1 Chronicles 15. But the clincher was Amos 9. The last chapter of Amos' prophecy. It says that he was from a place called Tekoa. It's got a rich history in the Bible. Tekoa is the same place where David found refuge when he was running from Saul. This is the wilderness that John the Baptist called home. And this is the same wilderness where Jesus fasted and prayed and was tempted of Satan. So it comes as no surprise to me that Tekoa produced a powerful prophet by the name of Amos. A man who kept herds. And if you've been in Bible class You know there were herds and there were flocks and there were fowls. So this is a guy that kept oxen. You will be hard-pressed to find a prophetical book that's rougher than the book of Amos. There are more prophecies of judgment in the nine chapters of Amos than any other book that I'm familiar with. Amos prophesied during the reign of two kings, but the one that's so prominent is Uzziah. Uzziah, the Bible said, began ruling when he was 16. And there are great things that are mentioned about him. In in 2 Chronicles it said, And he made in Jerusalem engines, invented by cunning men, to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks, to shoot arrows and great stones. And his name spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar." This, of course, is restricted simply for the priest. But here you will find that Uzziah started out great when he was young, building these towers and something that probably is what is called today a trebuchet, which can sling big rocks great distances. It said he was marvelously helped. And it doesn't mean that God was with him. It means that he was surrounded with a brilliant brain trust 
<coughs> very intelligent and very, very, very amazing inventors. But as he grew older, the Bible said his heart was lifted up to his destruction. And this is what Amos is referring to. That this is the same thing that Josephus was referring to. That Uzziah went into the temple and felt that it was his right and it was his due now to offer incense, which was off limits to him. And when he did, there was a mighty earthquake that literally broke the roof of Solomon's temple. And the sun shined into that temple for the first time. And when the rays of that sun hit his face, the Bible said he had leprosy in his forehead. And he was banished for the rest of his life from the palace and the temple and had to live outside of the city in, in, in just embarrassment and shame. Yet in the midst and in the aftermath of this earthquake, this is what Amos wrote. In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen and close up the breaches thereof and I will raise up his ruins and I will build it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and of all the heathen which are called by my name saith the Lord that doeth this. Now I'll switch to the message version it said but also on that judgment day I will restore David's house that has fallen to pieces. I'll repair the holes in the roof and replace the broken windows and fix it up like new. David's people will be strong again and seize what's left of enemy Edom plus everyone else. Under my sovereign judgment, God decrees that he will do this. Yes, indeed, it won't be long, God decrees. And in the midst of this, Horrible judgment of this earthquake and this king being leprous and banished. Listen to what Amos said. Things are going to happen so fast. Your head will swim. One thing fast on the heels of the other. You won't be able to keep up. Everything will be happening at once. But everywhere you look, blessing. Blessings like wine pouring off the mountains and the hills. He said that the plowman will get ahead of the reaper. If you know, if you've ever been around a farm, you got to plow and then you got to sow and then it grows and then you reap. But he said there's coming a day when literally while you're sowing, the reaper is literally going to be ahead of you. And the plowman is going to get ahead of that. So while you're reaping, there's going to be a plowman always ahead of you breaking ground, which means the blessing's not going to stop. The harvest is not going to stop. While you're gathering this in, there's a plowman ahead of the reaper breaking up fallow ground and hard hearts and getting lives ready to receive the engrafted word of the Lord. Is that not where we are right now? 
Do not buy into Fauci's claims and all the others that once we get this vaccine, everything's going back to normal. It's never going back to normal. It's going to be exactly what this man says. It's going to be you not going to be able to keep up. There's going to be stuff happening everywhere. But in the midst of that, don't you ever forget, amen, that before the earthquake ever came, God spoke to you. And while the thing was shaking and people were being judged, God is still talking to you. I've heard it said all my time flies. Yes, but if you will allow him, he will become your personal pilot. He'll teach you. He'll heal you. And then he'll feed you before the storm. And even after it starts, you, 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 you study this storm in, in the book of Mark. That he fed him and he healed him. And then he sent him into a storm. And he went to pray. And he comes out. And here's this horrible storm raging. And he said, hey, Peter, come here. Come here. Let's turn side. Let's turn red. Let's turn waves into a sidewalk, into a cobblestone street here right now. The thing that that that, that was destined and designed to destroy them. Now he's walking on top of that thing because the master didn't just feed him and send him into a storm all alone, but showed up right in the middle of that storm to give him one of the greatest miracles. We're in a storm, and it's not gonna stop. Up, but in the middle of this storm, I promise you the God that fed you before it ever started is still talking to you and still, thank God we don't serve a God that practices social distancing. This God that we serve wants to be close to you and close to me. So you choose today. Who's going to win? The problem or the prophecy? Is it going to be the earthquake or when everything that can be shaken will be? If there's anything in your life that can shake right now, the enemy's going to shake it. But the beauty of that whole thing is when everything else is shaking, things that don't shake look very, very appealing. And we're going to build our house on the rock and not on the sand and while this world is reeling from everything that's going on, there's the church standing there without a shiver, without being shaken, because we're built on rock. Hallelujah. I'm thankful for God. So take this with me, if you would, because if there is one story I can get out of this last supper, it was the Lord fed them, and then he sent them into a storm. A storm unlike anything they would ever, they could not wrap their head around what was about to happen. I know this because in Luke, after he resurrected, it said, he opened up their understanding concerning the scripture, how he must die and rise again the third day. He got them all together. It's just a little piece of plastic, but peel the top of it off and that'll free up a little wafer for you. There's two lids on this cup that you have. The first one covers this wafer, but the second one, when you peel that back, will open up this cup that you have. 
This is what Jesus said, this bread that you're about to eat. It's just not a bunch of flour and water. It's my body. It's going to be broken for you. So it said on that same night, he told us, take and eat. This is my body. And then he said, this fruit of the vine that you have, this is the blood of my New Testament that's going to be shed for you. You know what it says they did next? It said they sang a song. (laughs) They sung a song. And he led them out through the garden. I did it years ago. I only did it one time. But I know what Jesus sang. It's right in the Bible. It's called the Great Halal. It's just when the world is shaken, you don't have to worry. I'm going to take care of you. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to tell you that everything's going to get better and everything's going back to normal, but this is the new normal. There's just going to be one thing happening after another, and it's going to drive you crazy or it's going to drive you to your knees and say, God, I got to have you. You got to help me right now. Come with me around this altar. Lord Jesus, we repent before you, God. We did a pretty good job last year, but we would be the first to freely admit we dropped the ball a time or two. There were times we said things that were beneath the dignity of someone that we didn't dare call themselves a child of God. We, 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 we've thought some things. We've said some things. We've done some things, God, that they weren't proper. But only you can make a, a new year. <laughs> I live in a city famous for making cars. But you can make a day. And you have set this thing up on a series of events that we have once a year, the end of the old and the beginning of the new. And we have chosen to find ourselves in your house at the beginning of this year. On Sunday, the morrow after the Sabbath, that we have not just begun the year, but we've begun this week in your house. So on behalf of every father, every father-to-be, every grandfather, every great-grandfather, holy God, we repent before you right now. And we make a fresh covenant with you that we will be men of integrity and we will be men of prayer. On the behalf of every mother, every mother-to-be, every woman that would like to be a mother, every grandmother, every great, every great-great-grandmother, Lord Jesus, we repent before you. (laughs) We have just buried our kids in presence. We have just fared sumptuously had amazing meals around our family. But Lord, the women of this church and this church family make a covenant with you that our children are going to see moms who know how to pray, are going to hear the prayers of their grandmother. They're going to see the worship of the young ladies in this youth service, Lord, in this youth group. Father, (laughs) I don't know what's in store for us in the next 12 months. 
They called it 2020, Lord. It's supposed to be perfect vision, but I didn't see what was fixing to happen this past year. And I'd be the first to admit that I have no idea what's coming at us. But I do believe we've just taken communion together and I believe that you're feeding us before the storm begins. And you're going to send us out in this city, Lord, and out in this community. You said, I send you forth as sheep among wolves. But you said that you would keep us and you would care for us and you would guard us and guide us. And I'm confident, Lord, that not only are you feeding us today before the storm begins, but you're going to pop up again and again and again in the middle of this coming storm to show us that you're never going to leave us. You're never going to forsake us. You're going to be with us to what some people think is the end, but it's if we really serve you, you're not just the end. You're the beginning. <laughs> it may be over for some, but it's just starting for the rest of us, Lord. This is just ground trial run for glory. Why would we ever want to go around your throne and worship if we can't worship here? Why would we even want to go to that place of magnifying you if we find it so difficult to magnify you here? Lord Jesus, this is going to be a godly place. That first church is going to be a place of harvest. It's going to be a place of holiness. It's going to be a place of wholeness. We're expecting you, God, to minister physically, mentally, and spiritually. And we make a fresh appointment and covenant with you again this year, Lord. Hallelujah. Let's thank Him together. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus singing what can wash away my sins nothing but the blood of Jesus what can make sin what can make me whole with nothing but the blood nothing but the blood of Jesus come on lift your voice with a loud and sing